Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning. Hey, before I get started here, Paul Kramer is home. Praise the Lord. He's uh, a long haul for for our brother Paul, we want to keep him lifted up. It's uh, quite an adjustment he's going through, but he is home and on demand. Uh, we would really like to bless him with some meals, and I think we're going to try to take uh, some meals into him on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you can do that, let us know. You just uh, Is there a sign-up out there? Sandy's going to put a sign-up sheet out there. If you could sign up to, to take a meal over to him, that would be a blessing and a half. We have been, and... Uh, I really believe, I've never preached it before, as is usually the case when I'm up here preaching a sermon. You'll hear a lot of the same stuff you might have heard sometime in the past, but this particular sermon I haven't preached, but I think it's short. Woohoo! <laughs> Nobody's been complaining about the length of the sermon, but uh, I think you uh, deserve a short one every now and then. And no promises, I just think it's short. We'll see. We have been going uh, for the last several weeks through the book of Hebrews. This is the seventh message in this uh, three-message series. And uh, that's I think that's why I said originally it was going to be three, maybe four messages on Hebrews. And we've still got a couple more. But um, this is a letter written to Jewish believers, Jewish converts to Christianity in the early church, who were, at the time of this writing, dangerously close to returning to Judaism, abandoning Christianity, getting back under the law, for various reasons, but it, you need to understand, and I think you do, that it wasn't because Christianity, as they understood it, lacked anything philosophically, theologically, doctrinally, uh, but because it had become difficult. Their lives were harder, and they were harder specifically because of their Christianity in certain cases. And in uh, an early part of this letter, in fact, let's go back and read it, uh, because it's the very beginning in Hebrews 1 beginning in verse 1, we read God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in, in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, what he's writing right out of the gate is the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is bigger, he's better, he is more excellent than the prophets whom the Jews venerated. They held in such high regard. They hung their theological hat on the writings of the prophets. And he's better than the angels, who the Hebrews had a tendency to almost worship. And, uh, but better than all these things. He is God the Son. And being God the Son, he is over not just the prophets, not just over the prophets and the angels, but he is over all of creation. This is Jesus. And the point, which is stated later in chapter 2, is that if they drift away, they are not simply returning to a particular set of beliefs. 
they are turning their backs on God himself. You see, it's not just, well, there's a lot of similarities between Christianity and Judaism, uh, and there's a lot of overlap, but it was a little bit, we still are more comfortable with Judaism, and those beliefs served us well for so long as a people. It's just safer there. And, and uh, the author of Hebrews, God through the author of Hebrews, Paul, say, is saying that this is not what it's about. It's not just these beliefs. It is Jesus. This is the core of Christianity, not a particular doctrine, but Jesus, the person, the Son of God. And uh, what's happened, though, is that their current struggles have captured all of their attention. Their eyes are on their circumstances. The passage I keep referring to, I haven't read it every week, but I've referred to it every week, is Hebrews chapter 2, beginning uh, at the end of verse 8 there, where it says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. I think that's uh, it's the end of the psalm in verse 8 there. He's quoting uh, where... Uh, what, what the, the order of creation and how mankind is at the top of it. we got to remember when we read this psalm, when we read this passage quoted in Hebrews, the under his feet is clearly uh, referring to mankind's feet. It's not just under the feet of God, under the feet of Jesus. You've put all creation under the feet of man. That's what David was writing about. That's what the author of Hebrews is affirming here. Uh, you put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things under him. This is the problem. They expected that. We expect that, right? We sing it. He's under my feet, right? Devil's under our feet, but all creation. We are, we are the pinnacle of creation. We are the stewards of creation. We're in charge of this planet. That's what God told Adam, right? Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. This is what his offspring are meant to do. And the Jews who embraced Christ as the Messiah saw this as a return to this. If Jesus is the Savior, if he's cleansed us from our sin, then we are going to see this world under our feet. But keep in mind also that they, like many early Christians, really saw, the, uh, really anticipated the consummation of the kingdom happening much, much sooner. We are followers of Jesus. He is going to rule and reign. We are going to rule and reign with him. But it ain't happening yet. In fact, what's happening as a result of my Christianity? I'm being persecuted. Well, if we just got to wait on this, I'd rather wait, wait this whole thing out as a Jew. I know what I'm doing and where it's at least a little more respectable, a little less persecution. I don't know how true that was, but it's certainly how they felt at the time. But you don't see... Uh, we do not yet see all things put under him. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And I love this, because he could have answered, he could have explained, here's the, the context of your suffering, here's why... Uh, uh, God allows this to happen. Here's why it doesn't mean Christianity is wrong. He says, no, you're looking at the suffering and you're right. You're not seeing the things you want to see and you're right. But guess what else? You see Jesus. This is the answer. Keep looking at Jesus. This is the opening theme. And it's the theme that he sticks with for the rest of this letter. It goes on to compare Jesus to Moses. It goes on to compare Jesus to Abraham. And then to priests, the whole priesthood, the law, and the offering system, and how he is superior to all of it. And it culminates in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. 
And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. Jesus put an end to the sin offerings by becoming the final offering for sin. Why, why, why do you want to go back to that shadow, that type, that system which was only ever meant to point you to Jesus Christ in the first place when you already have Jesus? Don't go back under this. All the things that your ancestors observed for hundreds of years were just there to point you to Christ in the first place, and now you want to leave Christ and return to the things that were pointing to Christ. It doesn't make sense. So he urges them to endure. Uh, And by the way, that whole thing that we just read, and this whole, he's completed, don't get back under it, that's the background for the scary warning that you read about trampling underfoot uh, Jesus Christ and counting his blood as a common thing. That's what that's about. It's not just about somebody who slips back into sin once they, once they get saved, somebody who sins once they get saved. It's about turning your back on the things that you had embraced. So he then, uh, after he continues, he said, you have need of endurance, and then gives a brilliant example of endurance by rehearsing their lineage. This is the hall of faith, the history of these faith heroes who had gone before them, who had endured great things. The example they set, and the common thread from Abel through Moses, or through Abraham, Moses, and the prophets, is that they all died without receiving the promise. We went over that kind of fast last week, and again, I'm not going to do a series within a series on the heroes listed here, but I need to stress this again. It's not saying And we know from reading our Bible that it's not the case that these ancient men and women of faith had nothing. It's not like their life just stunk until they died and now they're in heaven rejoicing. I've said before, and I'll say again, if that's what God promised, if God just made it clear, look, there's heaven and there's hell, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Now your life can stink here, And it can be terrible here, and you can crawl through life as a worm here, but then you spend forever in heaven. That's still a better deal than having it all here and then going to hell for eternity. Can we all agree on that? But that's not what he said, is it? Is that what he said? No. He's promised us blessing. I'm going to come back around to that at the end. I'm getting ahead of myself. But what he is saying is that all, what they were all looking for was the Messiah. They were looking for this ultimate deliverance, the, re, the plan of redemption. They experienced, many of them did. Many of them were kings. Many of them were wealthy. Many of them experienced manifest blessings here on earth. But they finished their portion of the race of life, their race, their course. They finished without seeing the, God's plan of redemption come to fruition. They lived and died without seeing Jesus. But we have seen Jesus. We've seen the outworking of that plan. We've seen the cross. We see it all uh, in the past now. We're living now because of that under a new and better covenant founded on, built upon better promises. That's all from right here in Hebrews. Jesus 
fulfilled the law and put an end to the curse of sin and death. But history isn't over yet. Salvation has been accomplished, and because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, salvation is available to all who believe. But the race goes on, and it's our turn. It's time to run our leg in this race, and that's what we talked about last week, the finish line, remember? Uh, but these Jewish believers, even though they lived nearly 2,000 years ago, were living essentially in the same age that we are, the same dispensation, post-resurrection, but pre-return, because that's the next big thing. Jesus Christ is coming back, right? Oh, hurry, right? And the Bible tells us it's, it's, amazing, it's an amazing thing to try to wrap your head around and the language it uses when it describes these events in, in uh, Second Peter and in Revelation. It's kind of difficult, but we also know that um, Jesus is going to come back at some point and this whole world, not just the whole world, all of creation is going to be remade that's what it says, new heavens and a new earth. That's a new universe. And we are going to rule with him, we are going to reign with him, we are going to dwell with our Lord forever. And meanwhile, here we are, tomorrow's Monday. And we have to keep running our race, right? The race that is set before us. And like these Hebrews, we can find ourselves looking around at the world not even the world at large, but just our little corner of the world. And we think, man, it should be different. If Jesus has completed his work, and if he's sat down at the right hand of God, and if I'm in him, things should be different. My job's a drag. I'm worried about my family. School stresses me out. Money is tight. When's this COVID thing going to end? What's this country going to look like after the election? And so on, and so on, and so on. There are some big, scary problems in the world today. And there are some problems which might not be big to anybody but you, but they are big to you. Can I hear an amen? Well, maybe amen's not, amen's not the right thing. I'm like, I claim that. Yes, I have a big, big problem. But you agree. You understand what I'm saying, right? And you know, you know, and I know, that many people who once who once claimed some allegiance to Christianity, or at least self-identified as a Christian, have abandoned it, or at least failed to truly embrace it. And at the end of the day, many, I say indeed most of them, made that decision because it just seems easier to live in this world today without taking that kind of stand. If my beliefs put me at odds, with the culture. If my beliefs put me at odds with my peers, if I stand out, if I sound funny, if some of my beliefs actually offend society, it's affecting my social standing, putting my job at risk. And are these beliefs really that important? Is all of this really worth it? And the author answers these questions in two ways. Number one, he says this, remember those who have gone before, what they endured while the promise was still afar off. 
And two is this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We read this last week, let's read it again. Therefore we also, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Once again, we see Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is not a list of principles. It's not a manifesto. It's not a philosophy that you have joined yourself to. It is Jesus, the same Jesus who is superior to the law, superior to the prophets, and all the angels, and all creation. This is who you have joined yourselves to. And this same Jesus who endured hostility from sinners. Listen, I get it. We all know. All men are created equal. All life has value. Right? Yes. (laughs) And yet we also know if we read about somebody who is murdered and the murderer is a two-bit hood and the murdered is a two-bit hood, it doesn't register quite the same way in our viscera as it does when we read about an innocent child who is killed by some nobody. It certainly, and it doesn't register the same way as a, as a president being assassinated Still just one life, just one bullet. But there's something that is much more grievous to us if we lose a great man or an innocent child because of a sinful act. It's one thing for a great leader to die in battle, a great military leader. Right? It's another thing to have your brains blown out while you're riding in a motorcade or giving a speech. It just makes a difference sometimes who the victim is and who the perpetrator is. I can remember this has nothing to do with an assassination or anything like that, but it's back in the 70s. Queen of England was visiting the United States. Ah, this was during the four years of the Carter years, but there was this report by the uh, British press that they were very offended at one point because uh, the president uh, was pointing something out, some view or something he wanted her to see, and he put his hand on her back, on her shoulder, just to kind of go, you see, your majesty? And they were just aghast. He put his hand on the royal personage of the queen. He touched the queen. And Americans are like, so? She just don't do that. And the, and the news reports, I was listening to this on WLS, and the, and the guys reading the news are just making fun of it. They're like, oh, get, my, get your hands off me, you peasant. You know, this is the president of the United States. But this, was the, this is the way they've got this, uh, this mindset. I'm not making fun of it. You see, there's some honor there. There's protocol. 
And you don't just go up there and, uh, you know, if the, if the president were to walk in today, no matter who were the president at any time, you know, you would stand. You don't just run up and say, yo, high five, you know, this is secret service are going to tackle you. You know, there's protocol for approaching certain people, right? There's this honor. And here, again, Jesus, bigger than a president, bigger than a king or queen, Lord of creation, God the Son. And it's stunning enough to me that he condescends to become a man in the first place. Flesh and blood and bone. But even more extraordinary that he would die. He took on flesh so, specifically so, that he might taste death for everyone. And again, he could have died gloriously in battle if he had come to do what a lot of the Jews were expecting him to do, lead us in our fight against Rome. Yeah! And he could have successfully led them and still died a martyr's death and they would have venerated and honored him. No, he was executed in the most humiliating and painful way between two common thieves by sinners who were not even worthy to speak his name. He endured that kind of hostility. Not only did he endure it, he endured it from people who were as different in nature from him as ants are to us in terms of his, just his, his superiority. Why? We just read it. For the joy that was set before him. Not the joy of the cross. You know, the night before the cross, he wasn't having a party with the disciples saying, I can't wait! What was he doing? He was praying and he was sweating drops of blood. It was an agony just to think about going to the cross. But it's the joy on the other side of the cross. The joy that was set before him. What he endured, he endured because what he saw on the other side of the, Christ, uh, other side of the cross was this. You and me in right relationship once again with him. You know, <laughs> if there's a broken relationship between you and me, I will take some steps to mend, mend that relationship. I like to think I'll do what I can to restore fellowship, but uh, I'm probably not going to die for you just so we can be back in right relationship. And I know it's a different, different concept. I'm not talking about you going to hell if you're not friends with me. But this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus did. He understood that because of the broken relationship, it was broken by sin, right? And who, who, was that, who was in right relationship? Who was in wrong relationship? Everybody was in wrong relationship. All, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? There was only one way to fix that. There was only one way for us to be restored to that relationship, and he still didn't have to do it. If he hadn't done it, we'd have all been doomed to hell. There's only one way for mankind to be saved, and that's through the death of Jesus Christ. All, that, all of our sin had to be laid on him. But it was a horrible, 
horrifying experience. But what looked so good to Jesus was when this is over, when it's finished, I get you back. You're saved from hell, and we can be in the relationship that you were created for in the first place. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. If we end up, you know, he endured more than he's asking us to endure. But if we have to endure the same thing, and people have been crucified in his name. People have been tortured. People have died for their faith. But you know who kills them? Other men. People with like nature. You know, it's not, if, if we have to suffer, we're not going to suffer at the hands of ants. We're not going to suffer at the hands of people who are levels below us in terms of our created value. Jesus did. Jesus suffered at the hands of sinners. And he loves us that much, still loves us that much. You have to understand, though, listen to me, the ideals, the principles, the commandments, the beliefs, all of these things are important. But they are important because he is important. He is worth it all. He's the one that we're supposed to keep our eyes on. When it gets tough, and they will get tough, things will get tough, remember the legacy of those who have gone before. You think, I can't do this? You look back at the list of people who have done it. I can remember, and that'll get you through a lot of stuff, people, especially young people. You probably need to hear this. If the first day of school terrified you, made you extremely uncomfortable, if this new class overwhelms you and the first thing that pops into your mind is, I can't do this, first thing you need to remember is all of the idiots who've already done it. <laughs> I remember thinking <laughs> the first day I woke up at basic training, it wasn't my first day at basic training, the first day I woke up thinking, I got to get out of here. This is the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. I didn't know it was going to be this crazy, you know. It was, and it, was, it wasn't the physical stuff. I was in good shape at the time. It was the screaming and the yelling and the, the tension and the fear. I can't do this. I can't do this for nine weeks. And the very next thought was, thousands of people do this. Thousands of people do this every year. Surely I can do it. And that was that. After that, it was easy. No, it wasn't easy, but... No, this is a good thing to remember. And here, writing to people who are considering getting out, it's just getting too hard. And what's he say? Uh, look at all these people who've gone before. This is the great cloud of witnesses, the ones who are going to rise up and testify for you or against you on the day of judgment. They've been through it. They've been through it worse. You haven't yet, you haven't yet uh, uh, shed blood in your striving against sin. You remember the legacy of those who've gone before you and, and, and look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now listen, I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. But really quick, before I do, I want to make something clear. Going back to what I started to say a little bit ago. I am a word of faith guy. I don't want you to think that I have, that I'm saying something I'm not saying. I've said it again many, many times. I am opposed to this idea that Christianity is only about heaven. Suffer now and live like a worm. Be poor, be a victim, be sick, 
And it's all okay because heaven will be that much sweeter. Guess what, people? Remember, we are children of the king. We have a very influential daddy. He has promised to do a lot of things for us. He's promised to protect us from a lot of things. He has given us authority. He has promised us healing. He has promised us abundant supply and protection and his very presence by the Holy Spirit. And we do need to be speaking those things, claiming those things in our lives. Don't forget that. We see a lot of the stuff that's happening to people, even good people, even saved people, but they aren't operating in faith. It's not, the, it's not the, the one answer to every question. I see faith people going through things too. I see faith people losing battles. Okay? I'm not the guy that's going to stand up here and say, well, you just don't have faith. Like I'm one to talk. But, guess what? Jesus does say that. It's because you have no faith. Why couldn't we cast a steam in? Because huh? you have no faith. Oh, don't, don't you scare, aren't you worried that we're about to die, Lord? Where's your faith? Where is our faith? Thinking about that, when the, when the storm was tossing the boat and they really did think they were about to die and Jesus is sleeping and they wake him up, do you think they could have spoken to that storm? They certainly didn't need to fear with Jesus in the boat. We need to be speaking these things in our lives. We can't get lazy about this. Maybe the reason we're struggling financially is we're not speaking the word of God over our finances. Maybe the reason we're struggling with sickness is we're not speaking to our bodies. Let's take authority where God has given us authority, right? But here's the thing. As long as we are here, until he comes back, we cannot rebuke hostility. We cannot rebuke tribulation. We cannot rebuke persecution. These are the things Jesus promised us we'd have. There will always be those who hate us because of him. And we need to be willing to be hated. We don't need to bend over backwards to make them hate us. But we can't rebuke that. That's not what our faith is for. Some of those people who hate us now will be won over to him. We read that too. That's a promise. You continue to live your life for him. Let your light shine among the Gentiles so that they, on account of your good works, will glorify him in the day of visitation. Some will be won over, but some won't. In one sense, this world system was defeated 2,000 years ago. But the enemy is going down, kicking and screaming, and there will always be some who are going to be used by the enemy, just as you and I desire to be used by God. Sometimes our standing up, sometimes our resisting is going to be painful. Like we read in that verse uh, last week, what I just quoted a minute ago, in the passage we just read, we, uh, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. And next we're going to talk about the discipline of God, the chastening. Even that is not what a lot of people think it is, and it has a lot to do with the context, but we think of God chastening. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nobody wants to be spanked. 
I also always think of that guy. <laughs> Remember who he was? Was was Sharon, sharing his testimony here many many years ago, and he'd had a rough rough life and had taken some wrong turns, but was back. He was a he'd returned to the faith of his childhood, and I think he I think his quote was, uh, you know, the the Bible says the Lord chastens those He loves, and I know He loves me because He's been chasing me for a long time, and He finally caught me. But that's next week. Meanwhile, we soldier on. We exercise our faith. We walk in victory. We walk in victory over poverty, over sickness, over sin, over spiritual attacks. But you know what? Our health and our prosperity and our safety, if we're not careful, those things can also get our eyes off of Jesus. You hear me? It's one thing to not look on these negative circumstances so that you're in fear. It's another thing to not look at Jesus because you're looking at everything he blessed you with. The danger in this letter is of getting your eyes off of Jesus because things are getting tough. But don't take your eyes off him when things are going well either. Keep your eyes on the prize. Listen, uh, this was as been a long time since I referenced it but I've referenced it many, many, many times. If you read Moses's uh, farewell address in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy. Here he is speaking, he's prophesying over them and praying over them and, and, and exhorting them. You are finally getting ready to enter this good land. It's been 40 years since we left Egypt. You're going to go in and you're going to take it. You're going to take it little by little. And what's glorious about it is it's not unexplored territory that you're going to hack out of the wilderness. There are already houses built for you. There are fields and vineyards planted for you. I'm taking them out of the hands of the people who have rejected me and who have had 300 years to repent and turn and haven't. And I'm going to send you in and you are going to eat from the very first. You're not going to have to wait for a, a seed time and harvest because everything's already there. This land is flowing with milk and honey. That's because God loves you and he's set you in the midst of the nations so that these nations can see how blessed you are, so that some might reach out to know the God that you know. And then he says, but when you have eaten and are satisfied, take heed lest you forget the God who put you there. Because, and, that's, and then it goes from, be careful you don't do this, to a very dark passage where he's prophesying because here's what's going to happen. You're going to come in, and you, you, you who have seen the mighty hand of God working in your life, you're going to experience all of the goodness that he wants you to have, and then you're going to forget, and you're going to start looking back and think, look what I got for myself. And that is the very moment you enter the dangerous territory of losing it all. And you forget who gave it to you, when you forget just how much you owe God and you start taking credit for all the blessings he's, he's poured into your life, that's when you're going to start losing them. It's when you risk losing them. So keep your eyes on him when things are going well. Keep your eyes on him when things are going tough. What we want when we come face to face with him is to hear what? Well done. Now, good and faithful servant, well done. And we are not going to hear that because we got our healing. We're not going to hear that because we lived prosperously. We're not going to hear that because we spoke in tongues. We're not going to hear that because we worked miracles. We are going to do that because we have endured and we have stayed faithful. We have stayed the course until the end. We have to finish our course. 
But that guy ran a heck of a marathon for 23 miles. He should get the medal. Not if he didn't run the last 3.2. If we have endured hostility and fought sin in our lives the way we fight sickness and poverty, hear me? When we fight sin in our lives with the same passion that we fight poverty and sickness in our lives. And when we endure the hostility, we, we will hear the well done. You know, when we're face to face with Jesus, nothing in that moment, nothing else will matter. Stand up with me. If that's how we're going to finish, that race starts with a decision. My old boss, Matt Gober, used to love to say this. He'd say, you know, a decision made is a battle won. A decision made is a battle won. He's right. And it doesn't mean there won't be more battles. But deciding and getting on the course, deciding to follow Jesus, sets a, uh, gives your life direction. You don't know every single uh, event that's going to happen in your life, but you know where you're going. That is your guiding light. The decisions you make subsequent to that are all based on, I have a master. I have a Lord. He is my Savior. If he's going to save you, you have to let him lead you. You have to let him rule you. If you've made that decision and somewhere along the way you've gotten off track, it's time to get back on track. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today. Have you heard his voice? Here's, here's, here's my two invitations, as they have been throughout this series. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today, then do it. If you recognize, I need a Savior. I am the sinner that's described. I can't save myself. I need what Jesus did to be done for me. He did it for you. You just invite him into your life. Make him your Lord. That's a decision you make today. It doesn't mean things will get easy starting today. It doesn't mean all of your bad habits will disappear. It doesn't mean you say, well, I'm ready. I want to be saved. I just can't. I'm just kind of, there's this one thing that Christians do that I don't want to do. or There's one thing that Christians won't let me do that I really want to do. You leave that to him. Just say, God, you're in charge. He is amazing what he can do with your desires. The decision made is a battle won. And I'll give you just one example of this. And I'm not making promises. I'm personally not making a promise that it'll, it'll always work this way with everything. When, when uh, my boss, I, I just mentioned my boss, Matt Gober. This was at Canaan Land Ministries, my first uh, occupational ministry uh, position. And it was a home for men with life-controlling problems. Most of them at the time were crackheads. And these guys would come... Uh, they had to commit to a year at our program, and they lived there in very, very regimented lifestyle and very few visitors, very few freedoms. So they had to really want to be there because they're, they're given it, and it was free. They didn't have to pay for it. And about half of them at any given time were there as an alternative to uh, jail or prison. Uh, but they had to make the decision to come. And what many of them, even though their lives had been ruined, they'd lost their families, they'd lost their money, they'd lost their jobs, they'd lost practically everything before they would reach out to us. 
the one thing that so many of them said, oh, I wanted to come. I just didn't think I could give up smoking. They knew they needed to get clean. They needed to get the drugs out of their system. But they needed that anchor. They needed those cigarettes. But they decided if I'm going to, if I'm going to survive, I'm going to have to get in this program. And many of them said, the second I set foot on the property, I lost my desire to smoke. Don't be afraid of what God is going to require from you. He will require nothing of you that he doesn't give you the grace to do. He will empower you to do everything he calls you to do. The main thing is, are you going to bow the knee? Are you going to receive him as your Lord? Is there anybody here, I'm talking right now specifically to people who have never made the decision to follow Christ. You're saying, Scott, I want, I'm in the race today. I'll start my leg. I'll start my journey with Christ. I need to be saved. Anybody in here? Is there anybody in here who's like, yep, I agree with everything you said, Scott. I've, I've known those scriptures. I've known those principles, and it used to mean a lot to me, and I hate to say it hasn't been the center of my life. I believe I'm still saved. I still sure want to be saved, but I haven't been running my race. I've been running over here. I've been doing my thing. I need to get back on the track. Anybody want to recommit today? Get back in the race. One, thank you. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. We had a good response to that last week as well. Praise the Lord, sister. Let's, let's, let's all pray this together again. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. We give our hearts to you afresh today. Lord God, fill us with your spirit. Receive us back to yourselves and energize us. Father, we commit today to keeping our eyes on you. When things get tough, we're not going to get into fear. When things are going well, we're not just going to relax and wallow in it. We're going to keep pursuing you, your purposes on the earth. We're going to keep living the gospel. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. We will finish our course with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quickly, you can be seated as we prepare to uh, dismiss and receive the offering. Thank you again for your continued support your generosity and your obedience uh, concerning the tithe and the offering. I want to encourage you, uh, talking about speaking in faith, doing things in faith, uh, doing things out of pure obedience. I get it. God loves that. But what brings him joy, what pleases God is what? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how am I giving in faith? Well, one of the ways I give in faith is by giving in obedience. If I believe that God meant it, that you return that tithe to me. Everything you have, the earth is mine. The fullness thereof is mine. I've given you this. This is what I've blessed you with. You demonstrate your obedience to me by returning a portion of that to me. And if I believe that, an act of faith is simple obedience. But when he also says, and, and, test me now in this. You obey me with the tithe. I We'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not room enough to contain. Now, when I give, I give obediently. But when I give, I also give expectantly. Like, well, isn't that a greedy, greedy way to give? You're only giving to get something back. If God didn't want me to think about that, he wouldn't have put it in there. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not room enough to contain. You give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto you. But don't think about that stuff. Don't you dare think about getting anything back. You just give. That's not what God's saying at all. He's saying, try to outgive me. I dare you. I dare you. He is not going to let you 
he's not going to let you outgive him. He, once he can trust you, when he sees what he can trust you, what he's blessed you with, what's the old saying? He doesn't want you to be a reservoir, but a conduit. He, if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Don't panic in these days. Don't stop giving in these days. And you haven't. Again, this is exhortation. This is pat on the back. This is not me saying, oh, please, please, you've got to help our church. God has been good to you. He's been good to us. Stay the course. Stay the course in this as well. You guys are a blessing. I love you. If you need an envelope, I think you should have got one on the way in, but raise your hand if you need an envelope if you're giving cash. Sorry, should have mentioned this earlier. Checks, if you haven't made them out, get made out to Living Word Family Church. Living Word Family Church is simply LWFC. Praise the Lord. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Quickly, next Saturday, they're having another gospel uh, quartet out here, a concert out here in our parking lot. Uh, again, that's, that's not us doing it. We're just providing the venue. Uh, this is, uh, what's the name of this, this band that's coming in? Triumphant. Triumphant. If you are a gospel music fan, you heard, you've heard of Triumphant because we got people coming in from like five states for this concert. They are, they are a big deal. We've got uh, five different groups coming from Wisconsin. We've got some coming from Iowa and I forget where else. Uh, but this is a big, much bigger deal than the last one. Uh, if you want tickets, the information is out. There's a poster out there. Call Les Schluter. He's the guy. Don't, you don't get them from me. Don't, I, I know nothing other than when they're coming. He just did. Les sent me a text today uh, saying to remind you that if you want to come, call for tickets. Or if you just show up to buy them, I think the concert starts at 4. I think as information's out there. Tell them you're from this church, you get a $5 discount. Okay? So that's, that's what we get for letting them have it here. So that's, I think I might check it out. I drove by during the last one. It's not really my style of music, but, but I, I, I've enjoyed it. It's just not what I normally pursue. But I did drive by, and the sound was so good. I thought, well, this is, this is really going to be nice. And hot week. Looks like a really hot week. Big break in the weather they're calling for Saturday, I think a high of 78, so it ought to be a beautiful afternoon for a concert. All right, praise the Lord. Are you ready to give? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your goodness in our lives, for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us, for your patience with us, and for empowering us to do the things you've commanded us to do. Thank you now. As always, Father, for the privilege of giving into the work of your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of giving into this church. Thank you for the excellent ministries that you have uh, graced us to be partners with so that the word of faith, the word of God, is being spread around the world, literally around the world, because of what we here at Living Word Family Church in St. Joseph are doing right now. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We give, Lord, cheerfully. We give obediently, and we give expectantly. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you as you give. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.